10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 10th of July and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Pastoral CPD, wow, returning again with a conversation about one of the bedrocks of effective classroom practice, the do's and the don'ts of behaviour management. I'll be joined by Ian Wright, who wrote a great Twitter thread on this very topic and we're going to dive into it, tune in and talk it out. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon. I've got the most eager, eager guest. I love that. Ian, you need to hold your horses, Mr. Man. <laughs> um, I'll bring you I'll bring you in a little bit later, but I love, I love, I love, I love the energy. I love the commitment to the cause. The button worked, by the way, Ian. I don't know if that was a tester, uh, but the button worked. As I said in the intro, this is the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. This is an interesting Sunday Lunch Show because I am suddenly very unwell. Um, unwell how, you ask? Well, I think while well, my partner took a, a temperature test, that sounds weird. Took my temperature and it came out as just, un- I don't, I'm not going to say the number before people start getting all worried about me. It came out as something that is higher than average. Nothing ridiculous, but higher than average. So I'm currently coming to you live and direct with a hoodie, a t-shirt, a hood on, two pairs of trousers, like I'm one of the year nines in school, um, and slippers. My hands are in my pockets. I'm shivering. I'm cold. I'm warm and I'm sweating all at once. But Tom Rogers messaged me and said, Khalil, if you can talk, then the show must go on. That's what he said to me, ladies and gents. That's literally said to me. Um, this man is all about the show. He's all about the consistency. Miss um, Cato stems in the chat saying, sounds like I've got a fever. Yeah, I've, I think that's uh, that's what we've diagnosed. You know that Google diagnosis? I looked at the symptoms of a fever on Google and it said warm, cold, shivering. And there was another one. And I was like, tick, 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 tick. And that was me. But I feel okay. I feel well enough to talk. So like I said, and Mr. Rogers DM'd me and he said, I know you're ill, mate. Um, but you got to do the show. I said, don't worry, Tom, I got you, mate. Don't worry, I won't let the team down. I said, I'll do it, so I'm doing it. The show must go on. Miss Cato Stem is in there with words of wisdom, telling me I should do a lateral flow. I thought COVID was finished, as far as I was concerned. Got my triple boost, triple boost, one boost, double vax. I thought it was over. But no, let me be serious. Um, I will probably do a little, a little tester to see how I am. Where have I been, you ask? I've been on a school trip. I want to gauge the mood in the room. What is your opinion on school trips? I think they're like Marmite to teachers. I think, actually, no, mm, no, I think you've got some teachers that absolutely love them. And you've got some teachers that wouldn't even go near them. You ask them, they're like, nah, not in a million years. I think most of it's to do with the kids you teach. But I think some people just don't want to take their job abroad and have to be on the job 24-7 in the hotels and whatever else. But I personally love a school trip. Let me know in the chat how you feel about school trips. Are you a school trip fan? Or are you a school trip non-fan, a school trip hater? Let me know in the chat. I went to France and I came back last night at about midnight. Actually, that's a lie. We arrived back at school at midnight. Didn't actually get home until about 1.30, um, straight in bed. And then I've woken up and I'm just a little bit ill. Um, I've just tweeted a little recently, about a little recently ago about school trips and those kids. It was interesting. We have very well-behaved kids. 
and we went on the ferry and some of the ferry staff were like, oh, I'm glad you you look after your kids. <laughs> and I said, I said, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, well, some schools I've been here don't like don't monitor them. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah, they just kind of just let them go and say, I'll see you back here in two hours. But my schools, we're not that flavor. We're very about organization routine, keeping them nice and safe. We penned them in in the restaurant on a one in one out basis, only either to go to the toilet or go get food. Three of them stepped, slipped through my fingers and I went, I was fuming. I was fuming, but I was doing security. I had my headphone in as well, thinking I was a boss. I had my headphone in listening to Burner Boy's new album. Um, and I was on security, making sure no one went past me. And then we got a lot of compliments and the kids, the kids behaved themselves, full credit to them, a bunch of year sevens and year eights. They did very well. So we got compliments from the crew staff. Let me know what your school trips are like. Been on a ferry, what does your school do with the kids? I imagine year 11s, you might let just roam. Sixth formers, let them roam. But I was not letting our year sevens roam to embarrass us, not a chance not a chance they run everywhere they run everywhere everything's a game everything's a game they'll be in the queue in a game who can get the drink first me 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 they run everywhere i'm not having it on a ferry to embarrass us so we kept it very very organized on our um on our trip miss kato stem says she hates trips working over the weekend and being on job for 24 hours i get it and she said that our trip sounded said our trip sounded boring because the kids will behave no drama no incidents nighttime duty was interesting I thought they were going to try to dash out of their rooms and whatever else. The worst thing they did was take the brooms out of their room and have a broom fight outside. And that wasn't a proper broom fight. I know been in schools where it would have been a proper broom fight. This was like a sweeping battle. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a proper broom fight. It was who can sweep the other broom the hardest. And I shut that down anyway. And they went back inside and got in trouble. So we have a very disciplined school and we had to keep that. Um, we had to keep that over the, the course of the break because this was their first trip away post-pandemic, year sevens, first time been away. Oh, what else have I been talking about this week? And as you know, oh, I did a show. Did a show, Little Shop of Horrors. I was a plant. Feed me. That kind of, that plant. Wonderful. I was not the leading role, but I got the biggest round of applause. <laughs> it didn't gas me in the slightest. I mean, I kept it very, very humble. But we did Little Shop of Horrors at school recently. And I think schools are amazing for that stuff. If you have, if you have additional hobbies, like, I don't know, sports or music or, um, those are the only hobbies I can think of. Arts and crafts, chess, all that kind of stuff. Being in a school means you can just keep those going. Create your own club. And I love that about working in schools. So I was asked um, to be in the show and I politely declined the first time. That's a joke. I bit her hand off and I said, yeah, wonderful, I'll do it. And then we did the show recently and it went very, very well. Went very, very well. Um, I was a plant. Excellent stuff. Couple more minutes. How's everyone's week been? How long have we got to go? I know some schools, actually, I know a school that broke up last week. Um, which is ridiculous. And they go back in September and I don't know how they've managed it. I don't know if you lot know another school like that, but I know a school that broke up Friday, just gone, and they don't go back till September. I don't understand their calendar. I don't know how they did it. They don't have longer school days either. So I don't get it. Me personally, Thursday 21st, we get that little Friday off because of the, something to do with the queen. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> we've got, we've got the Friday day off in lieu of something about Liz. Yes, yeah, so we got that. Looking forward to breaking up. Any plans for the summer? I know we're a little bit worried about the, the holiday travel and we're seeing these flight cancellations. We're booked to go somewhere. Not gonna tell you when, not gonna tell you where. I don't want any of my loyal fans trying to stalk me, um, but we, um, we're going away in August and we don't know for certain if it's gonna work. I'm not gonna tell you the airline, but there are some cancellations. So I don't know if any of you lot are in the same boat as me, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We're, we're fingers crossed that this doesn't backfire. 
Sports day. Oh my word. Sports day. Miss Kato Sam's in the chat. Miss Kato Sam loving the energy. Miss Kato Sam's really vibing off me this morning. This morning? This afternoon. Dead sports day. And they said it was that Miss Kato Sam saying that the kids and staff were exhausted for the whole week. Sounds like it was carnage. Sports days go one of two ways. It's either a lot of mayhem, like controlled mayhem, or it's very organized. I know what my school's going to make it look like, but I've been in schools where it was controlled mayhem. The control was they couldn't leave the, uh, the stadium. The mayhem was everything going on in the stadium was a bunch of nonsense. Kids running, play fighting, going into wrong events, break, not breaking things, but just mucking about, boasting to the crowd. Actually, boasting to the crowd's okay, but it was a lot of staff trying to handle students and it didn't work out very well. But I've got high hopes for my sports day. Have you had your sports day yet? How did it go? Do you take part in the teacher's race? Do you do that four by one relay? Where do you, what position do you run in the four by one? Do you have a teacher's sprint? Yeah, do you, I want to see like a teacher's 400 meters. I think that'll be banterous because the kids will absolutely love it. I want to see one, I want to see eight members of staff doing 400 meters, all of them not athletes, just so we can empathize with the students and show them what it's like to not be an athlete, but still try. I think that comes from a very good place. So let me know what you like at sports day. Are you the person that just sits and gets a tan? Or are you the person that gets involved? Talking of tans, in France, it was about 24 degrees-ish. And let's just say the melanin that I have on my skin helped me amazingly. But there was a lot of people that, um, how do I say, lack melanin who um, got it bad. They got it bad. And I had to sit there very, very humbly as they complained about sunburn. While I, was there. <laughs> I had to sit, it's, it's mad. Just surrounded by tomatoes. It's mad. I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you, man. They didn't bring the suntan lotion. Poorly prepared. Serves you right. But don't tell them I said that. Don't tell them I said that. More message in the chat. Uh, Miss Cato Stem said she wouldn't have minded sports day if it was on a Friday. You can't have sports day midweek. That's a bunch of nonsense. Because all everyone talks about afterwards is sports day. Ruining lessons. Kids tired. Adults had to have enough. Had enough. Had enough. Right, without further ado, the room is full enough for me. What we're going to do, the time is now 1.11. My guest, Mr. Ian White, this is your cue. This is your cue. If you're calling for me, please, let's get the show on the road. Let's talk all things behaviour management. I'm looking forward to this one. It should be an absolute doozy. Ian, are you there? I hope so. You are indeed loud and clear, crystal like diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> loud, loud and clear. How are you on this Sunday? Yeah, 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 good. A little bit hot and sort of stuck in uh, stuck in our office that's full of a load of rubbish because we're sort of moving our rooms around and sort of the window's barely open and it's all a bit sweaty and stinky, but at least I don't have a fever. Hello? Ah. <laughs> got the digging already. I get it. Fair enough. You got the digging already. I was going to say, when you said office, I thought you meant you were at work for a moment, but um, I get the impression you meant one of your, your study or office at home, I'm assuming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, any plans for the rest of the day apart from being on this wonderful show? <coughs> um, well, we've we've done the trip to the park, and I've got two young kids, so um, I'm tired already and filled with a loathing for life. So uh, <laughs> the afternoon is probably just going to be a slow decline, I get um, and then we'll get the paddling pool out, and then eventually have some dinner, and we might get some peace at about seven o'clock. By which Mate, time we'll be too tired, and we'll go to sleep. You're doing invitations because that sounds lush. You're doing invitations. <laughs> Genuinely, well, like, pad, paddling pool sounds amazing right now. 
Not if you've got that mad fever that you're talking about. Good point. Good point. Well made. I forgot myself. But apart from that, my partner will still go. You've got room for one and a half. My son will go as well. <laughs> well, if they if they'll fit, the it's one of these uh, ridiculous sort of thirty quid paddling pools from Argos that's got like a dragon's mouth that sort of half sprays a bit of water. So I think they might be disappointed. Uh, no, that sounds nice, man. How old are your kids, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I've got one eight-month-year-old and one four-and-a-half-old. Oh, nice. Nice little gap there. How's the eight-and-a-half-month with water at the moment? Yeah, she's loving it. She's she's crawling around in the paddling pool just now. and uh, she's she, Eight months is fine. Though, you know, a bit of smiling, engaging with the world. Four months, all of that time is a nightmare. Yeah, of course. Uh, the the four and a half year old is great. She just yeah. uh, she she loves the, loves everything. Everything is very exciting to her. Excellent. Can you just could can you give a little introduction to our listeners about who you are, um, what your connection with education, um, your little biography, so to speak, just for a, a couple of seconds, so everyone knows who Ian White is, please. Yeah, sure, no problem at all. Um, I have been teaching for about twelve years. I did teach first back in the day. Um, always worked in uh, challenging schools, um, worked in a school down in Croydon initially, then I've been working in Hackney for quite a while now. Um, I am currently a vice principal. Uh, I mainly do curriculum for my school, but I've always had a really, really deep interest in behaviour. And I've always believed that behaviour is kind of the foundation of of running a good school, I guess. Yeah, um, culture, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and then eventually, culture culture has sort of been the, the word that's kind of taken it over, hasn't it? As, as as a more comprehensive understanding of of the way that the institution has to work, rather than just the behaviour of the children. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, now I'm just kind of uh, well, yeah, trying to trying to help to lead a school as best I can, and I'm I'm just kind of interested in interested in leadership and particularly like thinking about how th- things go wrong. Um, because then I can sort of start to think about how to make them right. Uh, so I've done a few threads recently on common mistakes. Um, so I find it quite a helpful kind of structure to think about um, the way to get things right in school. You start to think yeah. about when you've seen them be wrong. Well, definitely, definitely. And as you were typing this thread that we're going to talk about, did you think, oh, this thread's going to blow? Was that your... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm very new to this, this, this. I've been on Twitter for a little bit. But I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not very sort of schooled in the world of Twitter. Um, but people tell me that they're getting that they're getting a lot of retweets and likes, and so I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, I I didn't know. No, no. I just I just genuinely try to write stuff that I think people will find useful. That's that's yeah. literally what I try and do. No, I agree. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Uh, it's gone. Edgy Twitter viral. 694 retweets, 149 quote tweets, 3,427 likes. If you could get an award, that would give you an award, definitely. Um, but I'm glad it's, I think it's it's shared because I, when I think about behavior management, I know I'm someone who a lot, a lot of staff look at and think, oh, he's got he's got great behavior management. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And that's, I'm happy to say, yeah, that's the case most of the time. But I've currently got, I've had a class in the past where there's just a different, it's a different kettle of fish. And it does, behavior management is so nuanced by the people in front of you. Like even this thread that has so many great tips, it's not always that simple to just kind of pick up something and run with it because you, it starts with knowing your children and knowing what will work for them. Some kids benefit and work really well in silence. Some really benefit when they're actually allowed to speak a bit more and actually get active. And you might walk into that class and think, oh, this is carnage. But really they're like spinning around doing their rotations for angles and stuff. So it depends on, 
But behavior management is something that regardless of experience, so I've been teaching for 10 years and regardless of experience, I still have to think about it because I've, I've had classes recently when I'm like, whoa, okay, all the things that I've thought were very effective and have been very effective for the majority in the past aren't working now because of it, usually because of additional needs, additional needs that make it more tricky to sanction in the same way. You've got to make those reasonable adjustments because you know the child actually has a diagnosed or an additional need. So then, as you know, I imagine when you've got the one class and when you've got the few kids in the class that we know have got additional needs and get those reasonable adjustments that are fair, all things considered, the rest of the class sometimes look at them a bit like, hmm, hold on. So they did that once and didn't get really in trouble. I did it once and I got I got told off. But then I think it's about, go on, you're about to come in, go on. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I think what what you talked to there is really important, which is that behaviour management on its own doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. It's it, behaviour management and the teaching and the learning, they're, they're kind of interwoven. And you, you, I can teach, I teach classes where, you know, I've just, I just joined this school now as a vice principal. And I was teaching lessons where the I would say the behaviour wasn't good enough. And it wasn't good enough because of the the historic lack of learning through lockdown. It wasn't good enough because they didn't know me. It wasn't good enough because they hadn't built up enough skills in the subject. I don't have this like, even though I probably do know most of the behavior management techniques, I can't just magic perfect behavior out of nothing because it's also linked to the learning. It's also linked to what they know. And so, they're you know, kids are more bored if they don't know how to do it and if they don't have a developed schema for for what you're talking about and you can't change that with you know counting down in a certain way you're yeah, <laughs> using yeah, a, specific, a certain kind of technique and, and then to yeah. speak to your point about a reasonable adjustments i mean i guess i'm probably more on the end of trying to get as many students as possible under the same behavior policy um but there are there are definitely that there is that minority that um the, the in my last school we used to call them the pinball kids because they would <laughs> they would pinball around between different sanctions so you know they would get yeah. detention then they'd ping off detention into internal exclusion then they'd ping out of there and they'd go and maybe to fixed term exclusion they'd come back in and then they would ping round again yeah. and if and that kind of working out how to use a strict type systematic behavior system and to make reasonable adjustments for those students is really hard <laughs> yeah. really the fastest thing the first bedrock in my opinion of good behavior management is inverted commas excellent teaching i hate the phrase but i'm going to use it anyway um like if you're you and it that takes time but when i'm talking about excellent teaching in a nutshell i'm talking about making sure that the way you're teaching them the way you're delivering content the activities the the level of kind of immediate feedback the the, whether you're use whether the topic that you're teaching them is accessible but also challenging enough that they feel like they're gonna make progress. If you don't have that first and they don't know understand what the work is, then they're gonna misbehave. And then for me personally, I tweeted it a little while ago. If you got for me, it's happened countless times where you have that class, you have that lesson, and you know, do you know what? I messed up. For whatever reason, I pitched this wrong, they didn't get it, their behavior slipped. I li I honestly find it very hard to sanction misbehavior or low level disruption when i know i've messed up as a team when i know i've messed up as a teacher of course if it's drastic if they've chucked a chair or chucked a pen not a pen chucked a chair or sworn or whatever then of course but when it's like they're just off task because this powerpoint wasn't well planned and i didn't actually think about the misconceptions where they get stuck didn't do the intellectual prep and then they muck about i don't personally i feel it's very harsh when you punish kids there um, of course you have to hold them accountable i get that but you need to reflect 
as a classroom practitioner and behavior management and excellent teaching and learning are inextricably linked. And if you are listening to this as a kind of trainee, that's why it gets quite tough because you're still learning how to teach well, let alone how to manage behavior. And when you learn how, what your class, what makes your class tick, how to get them going, how to engage them, what they know and what they don't know, when you really get to know all that stuff, then you find behavior improves because the kids are more engaged because they feel like they're going to have a successful time. So if you are listening as a kind of newbie, then do remember that they are inextricably linked, in my humble opinion. I think that, yeah, so, so what I think I would add to that would be you can work in a school that hamstrings you. So if your school doesn't have a, a good, clear behaviour policy, for example, if your school doesn't have an in-class management system and has lots of challenging students, um, then it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter how great your lesson planning is and your delivery is, you can still have your lesson derailed by poor behaviour. I, I worked in an inadequate special measures school when I first started teaching. Um, it didn't matter how good my lesson planning was and my delivery was because <laughs> the, the, the school was utter utter carnage you know it really it was it was closed closing down territory um and I, the only caution i would add to i agreed with what you said but i would add a, mo a, a note of caution which is if you say to teachers the cause of misbehavior in your room is your poor planning or your poor teaching uh, a, that's politically a very difficult message to sell as a leader, <laughs> uh, and I, I and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't want to be the one delivering that. But B, also it might not be it will might only be partially true if, as a leadership team, you've messed up the um, the setup of the systems. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. I agree. Yeah, with that. I agree with that I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wasn't trying to say that um, the only reason why why behavior if you're not teaching well then poor behavior is fine kind of thing <laughs> like I'm not yeah, 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 for but sure, no yeah. I understand I understand what you're saying I understand what you're saying definitely 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 so on that note we're going to rattle through the um couple of things that you were not a couple you mentioned a few we're going to rattle through these you mentioned school policy just now um and you said that one of the biggest well you know what you said you're talking about one of the biggest mistakes is not using the behavior policy consistently what do you think first of all why what made you say that I think it's fairly obvious to be fair but also why what do you think means that staff don't use the behavior policy consistency consistently yeah i think that second question's really 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 interesting um why did i say it well i think I, I do think that schools are fairer places and safer places for students when there are consistent rules and when uh, adults respond to things in relatively similar ways um what makes staff not do it well i think that's super complicated I generally speaking, as, as a school leader now, I operate a kind of blame the leader first model. Mm -hmm. So I need, I need to come up with a better name for it. But um, <laughs> the, the, So the, the, the best way that I can describe it is that what you'll sometimes get on SLT teams is you'll get the SLT sitting around and they'll say things like, uh, I put this in one of my other threads, like staff aren't doing this. You know, staff aren't giving sanctions consistently. Staff aren't challenging the coats. I know it's terrible, isn't it? Aren't staff terrible? And you sort of sit around and you look at the table and look around the table and you just think, well, the, de the decisions are made here, guys. <laughs> like nobody, nobody else is going to make a decision to solve this problem. And there's probably good reasons why the staff, in inverted commas, are not challenging those students. You know, maybe they're afraid of them. Maybe they're like six foot tall year 11 students and they just don't want to challenge them. Or maybe the rule isn't clear. Any of the or any problems that you come up with, the answer is always going to be for the leadership team to come up with a plan and then to execute a change in it. 
So I guess the first thing I'd say is that if staff are not following the behaviour policy, it's the leadership's problem. And they're, they're the ones that have to come up with the solution. Now, the, the, the solution might be to go and speak to that member of staff and say, you need to use the behaviour policy, mate. <laughs> and that, that, you know, that might just be the simple thing of somebody's not using it because they feel like they don't want to use it and uh, they are just not engaging with it. And therefore, they're making it harder for the, you know, the other three teachers next to them. Um, but then it might also be that you speak to those teachers and you, you find out that there's an inconsistency within the system itself. Mm. so you know the sending out phase you know a lot of a lot of schools will have a have a you know students stand outside the lesson for three minutes kind of thing um what is the cause of that you know what what types of things do the students have to do in order to get to that point if you haven't been really clear with staff on that then they won't use it they'll go to something that they do understand really well because habits are formed over a, over a lifetime of teaching and so when you've launched some new behavior policy and you've said do this at this point your your new policy is battling against you know sometimes 20 years of habit formation and so you just saying it in a briefing or saying it in a training session doesn't actually change those habits and so i think that's another part another reason why people will will tend not to to use the policies there's other reasons there's sort of ideological reasons if they perceive it as too strict they might perceive it as too lenient they might there might be an ideological battle going on you know we hate the head teacher and new head teachers come up with xyz we don't like them um there might be departmental reasons you know some departments think well our behavior policy was fine why have you centralized everything you know now now we've got to follow your rules but everything was fine in spanish before you know that that kind of thing um but yeah myriad a, a super interesting question i think and one of the one of the final point i'd make on this sorry i'm droning on a little bit um is when you on Twitter, you see quite a lot from schools that are incredibly successful. And they're often very, very successful because they were startups and they could build a culture from scratch. What really, really interests me is how you change a culture. So how do you go into a school and improve it? Because it's so much more complicated. And all of those problems that I've mentioned so far, they are they're sort of rooted in the idea that you've got a lot of embedded ideas a lot of embedded culture within the staff already when you're starting up a new school for yourself and you can recruit absolutely everybody and you can just the only behavior system they ever use is the one you first invented that's like that makes things a lot easier i think no definitely definitely um i think on that note about how do you improve if you how do you change if you come in midway i'd say very very slowly and clearly and one by and try try not to do too much at once because i imagine you're I think you need to get highest leverage based on, you have to assess the school first of all. You can't start trying to change the school if you don't know what the, the main issues are in the school. And then it's about um, unpicking why they're happening and addressing why they're happening. And then thinking about, right, what's the, what's the highest leverage um, and clearest? And how do we then communicate that to staff? How do we train staff? How do we actually feedback and make, and actually do we just set it off and hope for the best? Or do we actually check and monitor and get feedback and make it a collaborative process? So I think when you've got the staff when you're trying to change the school culture, you've got to bring the staff along with you. And if you if you if you leave those behind, then you're going to be fighting against yourself, to be honest, or fighting against them. Um, cool. Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. totally true. I'd only add one thing. My my old head teacher said to me that um, I said to him, you know, have you had any regrets? And he'd led he'd led a huge amount of positive change in the school. And he said, yeah, I wish that when I first came, I had done nothing for the first half term but walk around and speak to people, and yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, that, definitely. Yeah, you've got to, to. You have. You have to. You can't just bring something from a school that something that worked in a school that you came from and say, right, day one, we're going to do this without knowing the school. 
Definitely. Right, let's move on. We spent a long time on one. I know we've got, we got double figures. We might go get, get through all of them. I'll go for the highest leverage stuff. And one thing that I learned as I've got older and more experience is around positions in the room. And I'm more, I'm very aware of it when you go into other lessons and you see people who are only maybe on the, a little bit less experience that they, they sometimes move. You need to move and you need to circulate, of course. But there's a time to do that. And there's a time not to do that. And I think there are, there are a lot of uh, teachers, regardless of experience, that might set them off and then just straight away they're on the move, checking that everyone knows what they're doing. And as soon as you're not at the front and your back is to the, and your back is to the people on the front row or whatever else, or you've turned your back and you've not got your swivel game on and all that kind of stuff, behavior can slip. So what were you talking about the uh, the positioning? Yeah, I think that's the, as I, as I, as you're just talking there, I realized that what, what, what's really happening there is probably something linked to cognitive load. Because what you'll see in the novice teacher is, is they, they are not picking up on the, the little cues from the students in the room that are telling me when I'm watching, unless you are stood at the front watching, that kid's about to go off task. And obviously I've been teaching for a long time and I can sense that and I can pick up on that. And that's probably just because I'm filtering out loads of other stuff that's irrelevant. But as a novice teacher, you are thinking about, you know, the words that you're saying, you're thinking about, uh, are they all listening to me? You're worrying about the next task. You're, and I think that you're, they're not picking up on these individual cues for which students are about to go off task. And what that subsequently leads to then is poor positioning. Because what the expert teacher will do is they'll, they'll explain something and they might set off on a task, set the students on a task, and they'll just know, ah, oh, we've got them here. Yeah, that we've got them 100%. They're all banged. It's a great start, right? You know what? I need to go and help that student. And they might just go pretty quickly and go and help them. But that experienced teacher, they sense, you know, William in the corner, they just know he's looking around, he's looking out the window a second ago. Okay, right, fine. Let's just stand here for a second, catch his eye, hold it there, be seen looking for a moment, and then go and, and change it up. Um, I'd say it's relatively common for, for novice teachers to get that moment of positioning wrong. And to mm. the, the worst one is to go right to the back of the class and then to, I don't, were you, were you trying to get down onto students' level a lot? I was I was but, trained in this a lot when I was first trained. It was like get down onto their level, get down onto their level. F fine, like sometimes it's good, but sometimes I just see it like really causing a significant problem <laughs> across the rest of the class because yeah. the teachers just disappeared. You've gone subterranean, and then <laughs> all the students can't see where the teacher is. Were, were you trained in that? Uh, it was definitely meant. I I do it. I wouldn't say I do it all the time. It's definitely something that I consciously. I consciously do. I would. I don't know how much I crouch down, but I definitely. I like a. I like a little whisper in the ear. Um, mm. when, they're, when, they're, when they're off task or they're a little bit stuck or, or, or maybe they're a little bit stuck and their behavior is slipping a little bit. But I, do, I don't, do I kneel very closely like a quarterback? I'd say, no, maybe not that low. Some, some of my kids are really short, so I don't get that low. Um, but yeah. It, I was, think it, it was, was made a big deal when I was training. It was sort of mm. seen as the, the right way to speak to students. And so what I do, these, less, these classrooms would be carnage. And I'd be like kneeling down and speaking to a kid. All the other kids are mucking around. And then I'd stand up, pop up, uh, you know, like a meerkat. And then I'd go over to the other side of the classroom and get down on another kid's level. And then they're all <laughs> kicking off. And it's, yeah, I don't know. And, if, you know, if I just stood at the front, if I'd held a central position, mm. held the eye contact of a couple of kids, issued out a couple of, uh, you know, corrections, whatever your sanctions are called, um, I think it would have been a lot better, to be honest. Yeah. And I think as you were talking before, I was thinking, it's what you say before you set them off that's really important. It's that preemptive, it's those preemptive instructions 
that you give about the noise level you want to see, whether it's independent, whether it's paired. If you're stuck, what should you do? If you're if you're completely lost, what should you do? And if you can kind of predict all the things that kids might do, so you might have a kid that's stuck or um, the, the kids that get on with it, those are probably, or a kid that's kind of a little bit less confident. If you can maybe in your instruction, give a preemptive kind of, I'm going to stand here and watch for the next X amount of minutes, for example. Um, every single person needs to be in silence. If you're completely stuck, just sit there. And once a classroom is settled, raise your hand. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll raise your hand or something and then I'll come and give you some assistance. Or maybe I'll call you up to the front and I'll talk to you there so I don't have to go to the back of the room, for example, maybe. And I think I think you mentioned it in your thread later on around the instructions you give pre-setting off of a task and that kind of, right, off you go. And the kids <laughs> and the kids just start. And they because they don't know what you want from them, they just do what feels natural. And they may just start having a little chat or they may just think, oh, I can talk while I work or whatever else. And if you want them to do that, then fine. But I think the explicit narration of expectation, that round, explicit narration of expectation prior to setting them off is something that you get better at as long as it's positive. And I think you mentioned that a little bit earlier as well, a little bit later in the, in the thread as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's front, front loading, I think is, is what I've been, been taught to call it. But um, yeah, so front loading those, those expectations and those, those clear instructions is super important. It, it, as you were speaking, again, I was just kind of thinking how complicated this is. Yeah, you know, it's really important <laughs> it not. It's really important not to have expertise blindness, right? Like, so be, I've been doing it for a while. I'm very used to to teaching, but even in finishing your explanation and setting students off on a task, there are probably ten different considerations, mm. and therefore ten different mistakes that you can make. Um, and it just speaks to what you were saying right at the start, which is that behavior management is hard. Like, it is. It is genuinely hard, and it's and it's in, it's interwoven with your explanation which is interwoven with your curriculum and so the, the whole thing is is uh, you know it is complex people that say teaching is simple um i they're wrong <laughs> no no it's definitely it's definitely not simple at all it's com it's very 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 complicated and you're never you're never there you just get like i said at the beginning you get another class that makes you rethink a lot of things that used to work in the past you've been setting your ways and these ways no longer work as well so you have to rethink everything definitely um right let's move on a little bit so um, I think you spoke a little bit about negative and positive frame. And I think that's, um, oh, let's talk about tilt. I, when all these words, I like these little words you said. I was like, oh, it really like kind of, it, it, um, what's the word? It piqued my attention. I was like, oh, tilt. And I tilted into my phone, wondering, what the hell's, what, what's, what's tilt? Um, and then you've explained it a little bit. So you've used the word tilt. What do you mean by, by tilt? Oh, you think it's a poker word. Um, so it's, yeah. So when you, when you're going on tilt is when you've, um, you've lost a load of, of chips in poker. And so you put a really rubbish bet on the next, uh, the next hand. Um, it's called going on tilt. And so it's essentially, it's when you've lost your cool. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, again, a relatively common thing that you'll see, particularly for less experienced teachers, although not, I mean, you know, I still go on tilt sometimes because, you know, kids can be really, really annoying. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you basically you're, you're when you're teaching and you reach that moment when you've you've genuinely emotionally had enough of the fact that you're just trying to teach these students you're trying to help them and they are being rude and difficult and preventing you from teaching a proper lesson going on tilt is when you then start to express that with the, with the students themselves so you mm. start to say you know this is ridiculous i can't believe that we've got to the point of and we've all done it. Everybody's done this moment where you, you're up the front and you think that you're going to try and grasp control back by shouting at them, by telling them to be more moral and telling them to, to sort of care more about their learning. 
Um, it it doesn't it doesn't really work. And part of the reason why I think it doesn't work is that it it they kids are perceptive and they can see when someone's out of control and they can see when yep. they've got to somebody. Yeah, they and find I think, it hilarious. Exactly, they find it funny. And I think at that point you're just so much better keeping your cool. Uh, using any school systems that you've got. This this is a good example, actually, for why a good situation for if you don't have a whole school policy on behaviour, mm-hmm. that moment is so much harder. And you have to, you, when you're fending for yourself without a policy. Um, but yeah, what I think is just far more effective is keep your cool, uh, if, if, use the policy. If it means that you have to send some students out, it's much better to send them out on your terms and say, no, you've now crossed the line, you've gone too far, you're interrupting the learning of others, you're going to have to leave. Because then the outcome of, of your anger is the students having a detention and being sent out, not you looking a bit foolish, screaming and shouting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky because it's on, we've de- I've definitely had it in, in my school where we have, I think most schools have this kind of on-call system where you get support, of course, from someone. And sometimes it can help if you feel like you're about to get to the point where you're about to lose your composure or um, react visibly emotionally to what's going on. Um, sometimes it's, if you can, if the uncle is quite proactive and quick, if you can use that and say, do you know what, uncle will come in because I need to take a moment. Maybe that might be, that is sometimes better than obviously getting emotion in front of the class. Cause as, as much as some kids are nice, some kids, some kids are not, some kids find this stuff funny. I know when I was a child, when we had, when a teacher lost their rag, it was the funniest thing ever. And, it was just very, it was just very, very funny. And you end up and you say things like, oh, she can't, con- she, madam or sir or miss or sir can't control us. But like, like, it's all funny. And I remember being, as a leader in those situations, being very annoyed by those kind of statements saying you sh- you're not wild animals, for example, about she can't control us, inverted commas. But I think it is also tough to, to, to manage that situation in a way that doesn't undermine their authority as well. That I think that handling of a situation where the class is, where the class is tricky, the teacher clearly is getting overwhelmed, calls for more support. The handling of that situation to, yes, reaffirm expectations, but also empower the teacher, that's that's hard. And as a leader in situations like that, that's tricky. Like, it sometimes can't happen in that moment. Um, how do you handle, have you had to handle a similar situation like that? What have you done in those situations? Well, yes, so we, I, I, would, I never criticize teachers in front of students. So that's that's a, a pretty central rule. Um, I we have an on-call system as well. So students are sent out; they're sent out. Um, and I think at that moment, you just you just need to support your teacher, and you need to get you know that student needs to leave. Um, I think in systems where I've worked in that haven't been as successful uh, in my in that special measures school I was talking about, there was a kind of um, I don't know if you've ever had this. SLT would arrive to to reintroduce the naughty children back into your classroom. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd say something yeah, like, um, "Well, yeah, they'd say, hey, Mr. White, um, yeah, Callum is he's ready to come back into your room now, sir.'" And I'd be like, "Is is he indeed? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he is. Yeah, he just told me to f off a second ago. It's how wonderful to see you, Callum." Um, and so and so you'd you'd get that kind of uh, you know. That stuck with me, right? That lack of support at that mm. moment has stuck with me, and I remember it very, very specifically. Although I have, cha- I have changed the child's name, obviously. Yeah, um, it's it's a difficult one because in that situation, if you're if you're new to your career, um, or you're in your third year, second year, and a, and a senior member of staff has made a decision that you wholeheartedly disagree with based on what you saw in the classroom, that it takes a a very confident 
um, member of, of staff to have the conversation afterwards or whenever and actually ask, you know what? I mean, that situation, I think, um, I think you, the best situation for me personally would have been for you to keep that, that child out if possible because he completely undermined my authority. And when you brought him back in, he did it again and he was spudding his mates as he walked through the class, for example. Like it's, so, but it takes a very, that's easier said than done. If I'm saying, if someone's listening, being like, whoa, I couldn't do that to my behavior lead kind of thing. Very easier said than done, but we're all adults. And they're supposed to be professional and they're supposed to be supportive. And that does, it says more about the culture in your school between staff. If you don't feel comfortable to politely challenge a decision that affected your classroom, then yeah, that says a bit about whatever culture has or hasn't been established. But that's, it's tricky. If, if SRT do something that you disagree with in your class, that's, I can imagine that being a difficult thing to handle. But a, a respective and supportive SRT would appreciate being politely pulled up on it. I think I would. I said, you know what? I apologize. That was a poor decision on my part. I did it because of X, Y, dead. But in future, I'll be more mindful, etc. I think that's that's something that could be quite useful in those situations as well. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think I really I can't think of many situations in which it's justifiable to to do anything other than say to the teacher, uh, they've been sent out. Are they are they coming back in, indeed, or indeed. are they going to the other? You know, give the teacher yeah. the power to make that yeah. decision. I mean, yeah. it, 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 I, I can't remember when I saw this. I think it was on Twitter recently. Someone just said, "How many teachers go into their lesson wanting to do anything other than teach the students the content that's in their plan?" And the point the point here is that if there were no behaviour problems. So if all the students just walked in and they sat down and they worked hard, nearly all lessons would be successful. And so, it, it, you know, students misbehave. Like they, 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 ca they cause problems. Like we know this, right? They, they're naughty. And we were all naughty when we were at school. You were mentioning that. Like, you know, we all cause problems and we're all naughty. And so ultimately, trusting the teacher's judgment at that moment has to be the right call. Now, do all teachers get the balance right? No. Uh, you know, some teachers will, I, I refer to it as machine gunning out corrections. So they, they will kind of say, you know, you're, you're on warning one, you're on warning one, you're on warning one. And then, no, you're right on your own. And suddenly in the first 10 minutes, you've got like three kids in the corridor and, you, and you're like, you know, this is, this is a moment when we need to train this member of staff in, in how to effectively implement the behavior policy. Um, but still that member of staff wants to teach their lesson properly and they need, they deserve to be trusted in the moment for sure. Uh, no, definitely. I agree with that. We've got a few more minutes to take a break. Um, let's talk about grudges because we are human. And I know with a lot of integrity in schools I've worked in the past, I can clearly see that a teacher holds a grudge against a particular student for whatever reason. How do, how do you get a, a member of staff to, first of all, acknowledge that? Second of all, how do you solve it if it can be solved? Um, what have you done in those situations where you feel like there has been a, a breakdown? So if you're a member if a member staff are listening now thinks, you know what, there's a couple of kids, a boy and a girl, whatever else in my class, we've got a complete breakdown. They've been mucking about for weeks upon weeks. Every time they do something, it bugs <laughs> like it bugs me. I snap whatever else. How do we how do we get staff members to improve and and counter the human nature that we have? Because we hold we're human, we have memories and we remember what people did. <laughs> like how how'd you do with that? How, what advice would you give to member staff in that situation? Now that's harder. You're 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 making my life harder here because all I said is don't hold grudges, right? You're making my life harder now because you're asking me how do I stop people from holding grudges? Well, I'm a man of I don't. Man of the I, I'm a man of the <laughs> well, yeah, but, but you know, that's if I had the answer to that, I'd have put it in the thread. Um, how do you? Well, yeah. So what do you do in reality? Well, 
first of all, I'd say that there are some incidents where it's too serious, it's too personal, that changing classes uh, is the right thing. So, you know, to just say, you know, this isn't going to work because of what's happened. Um, you two need to, you know, you need to not be teaching um, the student anymore and you need to not be taught by. And I think that that's, that is sometimes the solution. Um, mm. You can rule that out in most, in most scenarios. Um, I mean, we have restorative conversations at my school. So How do they work? Uh, How do they, are they scripted or? Uh, it's no, they're not scripted. No, um, <laughs> they are, I would say they're definitely in, in a sort of a phase of development. We haven't got them right yet. But the idea is that we have centralized detentions. And so the member of staff would come down to the detention room and have a restorative conversation. Um, and that's, that's mandatory. If they have sent them on call. So okay. if they've been sent out of a lesson, yes. Mm. Hard, really hard for it to happen because of loads of logistical reasons. Um, very hard for logistical reasons to get a, a senior member of staff to support in the restorative conversation. Yeah. Um, and it, one of the problems with the restoratives that I find is that, you know, if the kid's just rude again mm. in the restorative, then, you know, do you, do you now just up the sanction? And you can sort of very quickly start to you create a system within restoratives that ends up... Um, creating a sort of an upward spiral of sanctions because it's like well you were rude so you got sent out and then you were rude in the restorative so you went to the internal exclusion room and then you had a restorative again and you were rude <laughs> so and it, so I think there, there are these it is really 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 tricky where I think it what I would say to any member of staff is if you're particularly working in schools the kind of schools that I work in you being a, a clean slate after every negative interaction and in fact more than that being an extra polite extra kind um version of yourself after each of these difficult interactions is going to be the thing that they least expect and that they most need and so when you've particularly when you've had a difficult when you've had a problem with a student so I've, i taught a student this year that i can think of where we must have had 15 fallings out you know very very consistent problems did you make a 10 for that uh it, it's it's scored in onto my soul yeah so it's, <laughs> it's 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 burned into every surface of my house yeah each time i'd come home another incident um yeah no, no it, it it was just the student in particular would wind me up while i was teaching and would make things difficult and you know would slow down the learning but what i would try and do each time is just try and learn a bit more about them try to you know in the corridors just always hey how's it going yeah good to see you and even if they were just responding by looking sullenly and not speaking to you at the end of the year you know that student came up and thanked me and said you know you were a good teacher sir thanks for thanks for caring about me and then it's going to head off to sick form and i think it's that it's our job is really really hard because we're not actually just the deliverers of knowledge we're not actually just the deliverers of a curriculum we really are in the business of growing young people and part of that is putting our own emotions and our own feelings aside and refusing to hold the grudge even if it feels like the best life lesson is for them to see that you've you've held a grudge it isn't the, the thing that they need is loving kind adults who forgive them and unconditionally support them 
Yeah, 100%. Just on that note, just because it's an amazing segue into Karen in the chat stole my next point, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attribute it to Karen. Karen said that she calls this approach killing it with kindness. I remember I said that. I've said that in a recent meeting. And I think it is, it is around this. Like if you're the, the worst you are to me, sometimes I need to like consciously, it takes a lot of, it takes every sinew in your body sometimes to think, right, hold on, hold on. I know I'm annoyed right now, but I need to show them that I'm the most, like I'm going to try to still be as kind and I'm going to treat you as respectfully as possible. I'm going to still show that I've got faith in your kind of integrity because as Miss Cato Stem said, it helps remind yourself that the behavior we see in the classroom often isn't to, isn't isn't a personal thing like they're not but often they're not behaving because they don't like you sometimes they behave so some of the worst behavior is to do with their own experiences and miss kerosene was talking about trauma-informed press and when you do workshops on that and staff training on that you fully acknowledge how previous experience in a child's life can influence the way they behave in classrooms or their interactions with adults or their yeah their kind of what we would call respect for authority and all those kind of things and it's easier said than done to not take things personally but as you get more experience and you become more confident in your own practice, when you do have those instances of, of wild misbehavior, you think, do you know what? Yeah, they might have had a, I, I need to not take this personally as a kind of, an, on, as a kind of damnation of my own abilities in the classroom. Um, I trust my ability. I'm going to keep going. We're going to push on, clean slate. Let's go again. And again, I keep saying that's easier said than done, but that mindset is, is positive and it can help it, in these situations as well. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And I think, it's not to say as well that you're not strict in your everyday dealings with students. You know, I'm, I'm incredibly strict and I'm very, uh, you know, I can be austere and, and strong and firm in my language, you know, stop. No, you're not doing that. No, you know, stand still, wait, you know, it, it's not to say that you don't, sometimes you're not very severe with the students because if they're doing something dangerous or if they're being incredibly rude or if, you know, you, you, it's not that you have to be kind and happy all the time it's that when that bad thing happens to you, when that student is incredibly rude to you, when they disrupt your lesson horrendously, if you take it as a personal attack, then you, then the only response that is ever going to solve that problem with that student is kindness. It is, you know, it is, and it's sometimes it's the kindness to not give up on them. Mm, so it's, it, again, it's not, it's, it's not about um, being, uh, lovey dovey and, you know, really sweet and kind, cause that might not be who you are, Like you might, you, you teachers of a wide range of personalities and it might just not be the kind of person that you are but one of the things that I pride myself in is I, I never ever ever give up on students learning mm. and they if they see that that the next lesson after you've sent them out and they come in you care just as much about their do now task you care just as much about their exam answer and they suddenly see oh this is all right I thought I was expecting them to be angry with me but all they care about is whether my paragraph is any good that's mm -hmm. also like that's that's another way of of killing them with kindness, if you like. That's another way of not showing a grudge. It doesn't have to just be that you you know your sweet sweetness and light. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shift shift the focus to what they're really there for, and it shift that. Um, definitely. What we're gonna do? So based on the time, it's that's a nice way to kind of round off the first segment. We're gonna go to um, the advert break, and we're also gonna hear from our sponsors. This will take around six or seven minutes. So this is the time to have a little break, go get a drink, go to the toilet, all those kind of things. If you haven't done so during the show already, <laughs> um, and on the other side of these, we'll return with myself and Ian White, and we'll run through the rest of his do's and don'ts, tips and tricks, and everything else to hopefully help teachers become better behavior managers in the classroom. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group 
the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. After a week of political turmoil, the weekend news focuses on positive summer news as schools begin to look towards breaking up for the summer. In Bedfordshire, a school trust has opened a wellbeing garden. The Bedfordshire Schools Trust opened the garden as part of its fifth anniversary celebrations. During the pandemic, the Trust had pledged to fund and create areas within all its schools and nurseries, where staff could relax and take some time for themselves. The first garden was opened at the Estonbury Academy. In Hammersmith and Fulham, pupils have joined forces to make the local area cleaner and greener. Students from a range of schools and those pupils in Year 4 and Year 5 met up as part of the Mudlarks project and presented on themes based around the environment and ecology. Topics included reducing the use of plastic at school, clearing up litter from the Grand Union Canal and improving recycling rates. The Mudlarks project teaches children about water ecology, pollution, art and music alongside environmental research and scientific investigation. In Portsmouth, hundreds of children across the city are set for a summer of fun learning as they take part in a summer reading challenge. The national initiative, which promotes the benefits of children aged 4 to 11 reading for pleasure during the school holidays, is supported by the City Council. To complete the challenge, children simply need to borrow and read six or more library books over the summer. The challenge recognises reading in all its forms, including books of any size, graphic novels, poetry, picture books and audio books. The theme of this year's reading challenge is Gadgeteers and is designed to help children discover the world of science and innovation in their everyday lives. A National Youth Summit has been called to offer young people the chance to explore radical solutions to the big topics of the day. 
from job security and mental health to climate action and ethical working. Funded by the Cooperative Bank and in partnership with Trade Body Cooperatives UK, alongside the group's charity, the National Youth Summit will bring together hundreds of young people and organisations from across the UK. Standard Bank in Africa is empowering Africa through education, saying investing in developing the continent's education is crucial to drive sustainable and inclusive economic growth. Given the growth in the continent's population and the socio-economic challenges made worse by the pandemic, education systems must be strengthened to facilitate development. The bank will support projects in areas such as early childhood development, technical education and higher education. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to support a question everyone will see at the start of next year. It goes something like this. Hi Edu Twitter, can you reply with where you are so I can show my class how far a post on the internet can reach? With a bit of free tech, you can make this much more visual. I'm going to use Google Maps because it's free and most likely you'll have used Google Maps at some point in the past. So, when you have all your responses, sign into Google, go to Maps and click on the menu next to the search box. That's the three lines that look like a burger. From the menu, select My Places. You'll now have four options. Lists, Labeled, Visited, maps click on maps and at the bottom select create map now you can give the map a title so you can find it next year for comparison and add all the places from your twitter replies simply type the name of the place when it appears with a blue point marker you can click the plus sign to add it to the map and then select the color to help it stand out when you're finished all places will be saved and you can access the map by following the first few steps menu my places maps there are loads of other great tools to use also. Measure the distance from your school to those places. Hit preview and go into the view only mode. Here you can select a place and you treat it to a short bio and an image of the area. So next time you're looking to bring a lesson to life, why not try using maps to help pupils see where places are in the world? Do you have any top tips for mapping? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, we are back with the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. The time is 1.58 on Sunday the 10th of July. I'm still joined by Mr. Ian White, who is a senior leader at a school, who did a thread on Twitter about the do's and the don'ts, the hints, the tricks, what to, ooh, that's poor, on behavior management. It's been a great show so far. Please do listen back on ttradio.org forward slash listen back, and let's get into it again. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Oh, we are back. As that episode finished, I tell you what, I was dizzy. I was dizzy. I don't know if I'm, I feel like I'm too hot. The window wasn't open. I've just been sweltering. I stood up and it was a problem. If you're wondering why I'm dizzy, it's because I've got a fever at the moment, which is, but the show must go on, as they say. 
Yeah, if I can still talk so I can do the show. We've been talking about behavior management. As I mentioned in the intro, if you're just tuning in now um, and you want to hear what the first portion of the show was all about, you need to head to www.ttradio.org forward slash listen back. And then you'll see all our t- teacher talk radio shows there. There's an abundance of shows on a multitude of topics. My advice is think of something you want to hear some professionals talk about. Search in the search bar um, and see what comes up. If there's a particular host that you want to listen to, you can search their name, Khalil. You can search their name in the search bar and then all their shows will come up. And the final bit is if there's a particular guest that you wanted to see, oh, I wonder if so-and-so has been on on Teacher Talk Radio, you can go to ttradio.org forward slash listen back and you can search their name. And as long as the host has put their name in the episode description, you'll be able to see that as well. There are some hints and tricks to how to navigate the Teacher Talk Radio website with most efficiency. Cool. Ian White, you're still there, my friend. I am indeed. He is indeed. Wonderful. So as I was, we're going to just go straight back in because I was, as I left, I spoke to my partner, who's also a teacher. Um, and the, the next bit you were speaking about is, uh, I find this a bit controversial. I like it. And the, the controversial thing you started to talk about, in my opinion, is countdowns. So talk to me about why you think countdowns are effective and how also to use them effectively and what to avoid when you're doing countdowns. So yeah, anybody that doesn't use a countdown is a terrible teacher. That's the, that's my first point. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's it. Done. That's the whole point. Uh, that's the end of the show. Thank you very much. Countdowns is everything. Uh, yeah. So what would I say about countdowns? I would say that um, the first point I made in the thread is that when you when you're in a situation with you know anything over a hundred adults, I was at a conference yesterday, um, and without a countdown adults will will take the milk right so you'll you'll when there's someone at the front going excuse me excuse okay can we bring it back in please you'll just keep talking you'll just keep talking you'll keep and you'll you'll keep going until it becomes the sort of the herd has started to hush and then you will you'll go quiet so i think that's a pretty good guideline for how you'll behave now if if you're in an insert session and the person at the front goes five four three two and one it takes a bit of gumption to be like, do you know what? Um, I'm going to keep rocking this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to continue past one because, you know, that the stuff your countdown, I don't care. So I think on a simple, there's something uh, finite, finite about a countdown. There's something sort of final. It is the moment at which you are expected to be silent. And I think that chimes quite well with any school policies that you might have. Uh, because you can then say, well, look, from this point, this is when you will now start to move up the behavior management system, you know, the classroom management system, you'll get a C1, a C2, or a mm-hmm. correction, or a demerit, or whatever it is, if you talk past this point. So there's something quite good and, and um, final about it that then allows for a policy to be extended at scale. I think it's helpful for new teachers as well, because it, it, it gives them a, a shared language across that, that is across multiple different classrooms. So a new teacher arrives, uh, an ECT, a PGCE, and they can suddenly tap into what this shared culture of being completely silent at the end of the countdown. Um, I think that's really, really helpful as well. Um, mm. there's, an ar- so, yeah. there's an argument, Ian. There's an argument to say that countdowns are flawed if you get to the, let's say, worst case scenario, you did the countdown from five. I know you'll talk, we'll talk more about narration in a second, but let's say you did the countdown from five. You got to your the lowest number, which is one, I'm, I'm assuming, and you've got eight or nine kids still talking. What happened? You, like, you can't go, C1, 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 C1. So what, as a teacher, if you're in that situation, what do you do? Do you count again? 
you go back up? We start, I'm going to start at seven next time. What should, what should you do in that situation if a lot of students are still talking? So I'm, yes, I, I, I understand that point. And that was my experience in my first few years of teaching. And that, and that was a problem. I think I've, I've, I've worked in two different Hackney schools now for the last 10 years or so, nine years or so. Um, that hasn't been a problem in either of those uh, because there was so much other stuff underpinning it. So there was so, you know, the behavior policy was, was, was relatively strong and good. The culture in the classrooms had been set relatively well, you know, teaching was at a certain standard. And so it was very rare for there to be such disrespect for the teacher that it would be indecipherable who wasn't following the countdown. I can imagine though that, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, so I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling just because I don't have any personal experience of advice for someone at that stage. I mean, I guess it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know what I would advise at that point. I mean, I might mm. say you probably want to start getting someone in to come and help. So maybe yeah, you'd ask yeah. a member of SLT ahead of year to come into the room at that point to reset that expectation um, or even just to help spot the ones who are who are still talking after the countdown. Because if there's mm. if there's eight, it's going to be very hard to see, but you might need somebody else in there to see that. Um, I guess I would, I, 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 I really try very hard never to criticize um, other professionals as much as I can. I would worry, I would have questions about a, a school's culture and the behavior in the school if sort of established teachers were struggling to get silence from a countdown. I would say that mm. there's, there's, there is probably like some, some quite deep problems there that, that yeah, agree. need to be addressed. No, definitely. It's definitely something that's, it'll be, a, it'll be a systemic issue if that were the case, I imagine. I guess, I wonder how people in the room feel about uh, scapegoats. And I'm just throwing this out there. What I mean by scapegoats in this situation is, yes, there were eight people. Or there's a, a, you can't work out who was. But there's a lot of people. Um, how do people feel about if you can't, if there's no time to use on call? How do people feel about in the in the chat or yourself in about picking one or two that you knew for certain were, um, and then you won't be able to sanction the rest because you don't know who they were. And I'd say I just wonder. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm not saying it's best practice. I'm not saying it's worst practice. I wonder what you think about scapegoating, if handled well. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, so so on on that, I definitely do have clearer thoughts. And I, I think that that is the right approach. And there's a pretty clear analogy to explain it to students that I found has worked really, really well, mm. which is you ask them to imagine that they arrive in the, at home and there's a burglar in that. There are two burglars in their house. And one of them trips up and they knock themselves out. Uh, and they're just lying on your kitchen floor. And the other burglar manages to get out of a, of a back window. And you, you call the police and the police arrive and they say, all right, what, what's the problem? And you say, well, there's a burglar who's knocked out in my kitchen. And the police say, all right, where's the other one? Oh, he, he left out the window. They say, oh, well, we can't do anything, sorry. We've, we've got to be fair. We've got, to, we've, got, we've got to either sanction both burglars or we can't sanction any of them. Sorry, he's your problem now. And they, they immediately see like, oh, right, yeah, you know, the, the burglar should be, should be arrested for, for going into my house. And it, that, that kind of, in that situation, it is always far better, I think, to sanction what you've seen and to say, if I see anybody else doing it, I will sanction them. If in a situation with, with, that you gave me before, the eight uh, I don't know, that might just cause more, even more disruption and chaos. I think what that probably is, actually, the, the eight people still talking after a countdown is probably 
where you'd you'd lean over into just saying you now need support like mm. that's a class that's a classroom that is no longer manageable by that individual teacher that's where you need to start having regular people observing you might need to have a couple of students who are withdrawn for a lesson uh whilst they you know to allow the culture to reset because you know it's normally there's a couple of students whose behavior is really really poor that that is uh dragging things down i think that might be a better answer than worrying about you know firing off a correction here or there to like one or two who are definitely talking at the end of the countdown Mm. There's a there is an argument, and again, I'm I'm purely playing. I'm just throwing out ideas. I know n- the narration during the countdown or count up, whatever they call it, is is vital. So I know you spoke about what you want them to do during that countdown. As long as you keep, if your countdown's not too loud, I would I would advise that countdown shouldn't be. If you're going to do a verbal cue for silence, then you shouldn't want to like shout it. But you'd also need a visual cue. So if you're going to count down, you should use your hands as well, not just words. So you've actually got a visual cue as well. And then I think as you're doing the countdown or count up telling them what you want them to be doing. Also potentially narrating what you will do at the end if you see anyone. I don't mind if there are other people talking. If I see you speaking, you will get a whatever and there won't be any kind of, um, I don't know, any kind of response. Potentially that those kind of words, preempting it, can sometimes help as well. And then the final thing I'd say is as you're counting down, I wouldn't say walk around the whole classroom, but I would say utilise a bit of movement along the front, utilise your teacher stare, utilise some eye contact, um, some non-verbals and stuff. Try not to introduce an extortionate amount of noise when you're trying to get silence because it can be a little bit counterintuitive. And I know that when my voice goes lower, kids actually want to kind of hear what you're saying. So they usually shut up a little bit as opposed to five, you need to be doing this. Because then it's going to be like, whoa, he's just bringing more noise into the classroom. That's funny. Um, so I think that's a bit of advice that I'd give in that situation as well. I think yeah, all of that's all of that is <clears throat> is completely right. I think, and I think the the other thing is you can judge the pacing of your countdown. Mm. So I teach a lot of sick form lessons. You know, sometimes with quite big classes, I might still need a countdown because I've got twenty five kids talking. Uh, but it's a sick form lesson, so I'll be like, finish your discussions in three, two, one, and everybody on me. Yeah, of course. Now, if you if you do that with year sevens, it's it's. I'd have some I'd have some tapping along with you, mate. They'll make they'll make a beat out of that. I am addicted to I'm addicted to clicking. I've I've got a really really loud click, and so many of my little things I have a click that runs alongside it. So when I'm counting down, it is always five, four, and I always like intersperse a click into it. But yeah, but with year sevens, you would you would slow that countdown right down. So it might be five, I want your pens down in four, then looking at me in three, and then, yep, just over there, please, Susie, ready in two, oh, we're nearly there, make sure we don't get any silly corrections in one, and we're all looking this way, beautiful. Yeah. And what I'd add to the one- that- I was going to say, what I was going to add, another thing you could say is, as you had in your thread earlier, the narration of the positive in that situation, even if most kids aren't even listening yet, if you say thank you to everyone that's already nice and silent and focused on me, people hear that and like, oh, right, I might be in the minority here. Um, and I think there's a there's a psychological thing as a, as a teacher and as a child, if you point out the people not doing it, it almost undermines, like tacitly undermines the, the fact that you've given an instruction and people aren't following it. You could be like, right, five. Thank you to everyone that's already, already looking at me. This is wonderful. Everyone's done the right thing already. Just waiting on a couple. Four, everyone's nearly there. Everyone's there. Excellent. And the people who are having a little chat at the back might hear that. And rather than being named and being kind of identified as someone not doing the right thing, they just have that that nonverbal kind of positive whole group correction that can sometimes, again, be effective in those, in those situations. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've talked quite a bit of A-level psychology now. That that actually has a name. It's normative social influence, and it's that yeah, it's that it's that sense of like wanting to to fit in with the group, and so you just conform. Um, and that's that's definitely true. And all of that, I use that particularly with things like um, when kids are coming in for a do now task. You can, you know, ninety percent of us have sat down and got our pens out. That's amazing. Just waiting for the other ten percent. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a non confrontational way of dealing with things like that. Yeah. 100%. I know Jenny in the chat said that she'd also have a conversation with in the corridor with them. I'm assuming this was about any child that may have been causing um, additional issues. Um, then definitely a one-to-one can help. And you spoke a bit about one-to-ones. This is a nice little segue because one-to-ones are something they can be handled well and they can be handled poorly. One-to-ones can be handled in a way that they either go on for too long or they actually undo the... They, wow, I just burped. <laughs> they, they, they undo the hard work maybe that you've done or trying to create, they can take too long. The rest of the class can lose interest. I think the handing of one-to-ones in the corridor is something that takes a bit of, it takes some time, it takes some skill, it takes some conscious thought about where do I stand? How long do I speak to them? What do I say? Because as far as I'm concerned, I we know, they know they've messed about. I wouldn't even, I don't see a benefit personally in addressing the fact that they've messed about. I feel like saying, right, when we're back in, because I'm saying I want you in the classroom to learn, you're going to do X, Y, Z, and then we're going to have a happy time, blah, 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 as opposed to why did you do this? Because then you just get into a back and forth. So I think when you're having the one-to-ones, as you're, you need to think of the way that's, that's most likely to get these kids back in the lessons, unless it's something completely abhorrent. And if it's abhorrent, I don't think you even need the, I don't think you even need the one-to-one if they're definitely going to get um, removed. I don't think you need to spend time sanctioning behavior if you know they're going to be removed. You can have that restorative later, maybe. But I think the one-to-one handling is somewhere where a lot of teachers, myself included, as you're growing up, you growing up, as you've got more experience, as you can mishandle them. And you can be around the corner and the rest of the class is just having a party inside and you just cause more issues. <laughs> you cause more issues than it's worth. Yeah, I, I think um, fundamentally you are the teacher of a whole class and any behaviour system exists to help you do that more effectively. So if you're using any element of the behaviour system to and it, and it is having a deleterious impact on the majority of students then you need to think about how you're using that part of the system so if there is a uh send a student outside the classroom which there is in my school currently then that conversation with them has to be super speedy has to be very very to the point and what you just said i completely agree with so i will literally just go to the door and i'll just say ready and that's all I do because they know why they're out there. They're not yeah, exactly. stupid, right? And if they and if they say to me no, then I'll say, well, then you've got a half an hour detention, and I'm going to come back in a moment and decide whether you're going to go on call. Now they know they know that I'm 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 strict, right? They they know that I'm strict, and as a result, I don't have too many problems. Uh, but that the clarity and the uh, the brevity of that most students just appreciate that and they, they understand that, that that then means that they can get back into the room nice and quickly. I mean, I would say the other, the other time I see this going wrong is a little bit like that meerkat example I was saying to you before, which is it's very, very tempting. I think particularly early on in your career, you want to be liked by the children. You want to be the pastoral teacher. You want to be the one that um, that cares about the kids really, really, really deeply because that's why you got into the profession in the first goddamn place. And so you're you're teaching your lesson, and you want to, you know, you really want to speak to David and and get down on his level and just understand 
why is he messing around? <laughs> and the problem is, is that, you know, you've got some maths to teach and that's a really hard thing to do as we were talking about before. And David's behavior problems are longstanding and deep rooted and they're very complicated and they're not going to be solved very quickly at all. And if you start having a long conversation with David during the maths lesson, believe it or not, that's actually what he wants to be doing because he really doesn't want to be doing the maths. <laughs> and and he's, he's, quite, he's quite happy to have all of that attention as well. And all that you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to slip away from the main thing that you're supposed to be there to do. And so I, don't, I just don't think one -to deep, long one-to-one -one conversations when you're supposed to be teaching a lesson are, are almost ever the right thing to do. Mm. And I think the 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 things in those one to one situations, it takes again, it's a conscious effort around when you're if it is a case of right outside, I need to now speak to student now. What am I telling the rest of the class to be doing? What have I set up? Like you have to kind of tactic. It, it takes a lot of cog it's a lot of cognitive load to be like, right, hold on. I need to get I need to probably speak to this child. The one to, the like the little whispers haven't worked, the nonverbals, the sanction, I need to actually speak to this child. One to one is a final, the final kind of um mark essentially but when you do that what have you told the rest of the class to do so have you have you timed it so that it comes at a good time to have a discussion with your partner about whatever's on the screen as it come at the right time where you can actually set people off and you know they can get it and they're going to set them off and they're going to start and you know that you explain that to them and then you go outside and you have your little brief conversation and they either come back in or not because it can happen if you send them out and you try to speak to them then and the rest of the class aren't set off then of course they're going to be like, whoa, teacher's not here. Let's go and have a mess around and let me throw some stuff and chuck a glue stick at the ceiling. So that can happen. So I think as well, that's difficult in the moment to think about, but it's also something that ideally, I think if you can engage the rest of the class and also where you're standing is very important. You should be still standing, in my opinion, half in, half out. So you've got almost one eye. You should always be looking at the kids in the rest of the class. But you've got one eye kind of next to the kid that's outside next to the corridor. The other eye is on the class. And then your conversation, like I said, if that's brief, then that can happen quite snappy. And I like the idea of if they if they know what ready means, they know that sir wants me back in the room or miss wants me back in the room, and you keep that relationship going, then they'll start to realise. And I think that's also easier said than done, as is all things with behaviour management. But I think that's something to think about as well. For sure. By the way, have you ever thrown a glue stick at the ceiling? Yes, it's and it, I, I was very good at it, to be fair. It's so much fun. Like it is so much fun. Because I used to, in my, in my first school, they were, the ceilings were littered with these little, you know, the little bumps of the, of the Pritt sticks. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to actually do this because all the kids are doing it in my lessons. So I'm going to start, oh, it's brilliant. You've thrown it up, you stick a three or four or five of them up there. It's wonderful. It's like, it's like, landing, <laughs> it's like landing a bottle flip, same level of, of satisfaction. Yeah, um, yeah. Listen, I get it, but then all you have to do is confiscate all the glue sticks. Um, <laughs> like the first time anyone does it, I'll be taking all those glue sticks in. Thank you very much. You don't even need them. Um, perfect. It's, a good, it's a, good, a, good, a good way of stopping you getting taking things personally is to remember all the stuff that you did as a kid at school. Yeah, you know, I, I, all the ways that we treated supply teachers, all the ways, you know, the violence when I was a kid, you know, just the yeah. unadulterated violence, the bullying. Uh, we did all of it, you know. We did all of it, and and so it's it's, it's you got to remember to not take this stuff personally because it was you once. <laughs> yeah, no, indeed, definitely. Um, what about? There's been a bit of controversy. I feel like about this um, lacking energy and passion. I feel like some. I've definitely had um, people not in response to your thread, but I think some people have responded to that being like, "Well, 
it might not be in their in their nature to be kind of really and they might be more a little bit timid so telling them what you need to be more kind of energetic and passionate about what you teach can sometimes be a bit of a, a slap in the face to a teacher who loves their subject is passionate about it but their, their natural demeanor is not yet the one where they're they're that they're commanding and they're engaging like they're on stage so i guess what what are your thoughts on that as a kind of a, a comeback to that staff that might be a little bit naturally more reserved yeah, I'd, I've, I've been quite careful. I don't know whether it's in that thread, but to use the word authentic quite a lot, because I think I'd, what I would encourage people to do is to, first of all, find an authentic version of themselves as a teacher and then to just turn up the dial on it. And that might be nerdy, quiet, but <laughs> deep, deeply knowledgeable, you know, yeah, deeply, yeah. deeply knowledgeable. And it might be, you know, I'm loud, brash, make jokes, dad, make dad jokes, um, make up nicknames, uh, but deep, like, deeply knowledgeable, like care a lot about the content of the stuff. So it's finding an authentic version of yourself and then turning it up so that you're mm. performing it for the students. Because, you know, we don't, we're not used to turning up our personality when we're with our mates and when we're with our family because they know who we are and we just behave you know, the way we do. Whereas students do need to, I think they need things demonstrating a bit more clearly for them. I mean, I can think of teachers in my school who are absolutely fantastic and they are the quietest, you know, what, what you might refer to them as timid, I don't know, um, but they're very, very quiet and they're not energetic. They don't run around the room and they're not mm. jumping up, but it, there is an energy to them. There is a passion, there is a drive. It's just expressed through this different authentic voice. Um, and I guess what when I see a teachers where it where that hasn't been found, then that uh, that timidness or timidity, I don't know what the word is, um, when when you see that there is an awkwardness to them, there isn't this kind of comfort in their own skin as a teacher. And maybe it's something that just comes with practice and comes with uh, building confidence and doing it over time. But it's definitely something that I wish I'd sort of actively tried to discover early on in my career um, to think carefully about, you know, what what is my persona to these students? What do I want them to see me as and how am I going to communicate that to them? You know, what kind of body language do I want to use there for? Uh, what kind of tone of voice? What what's what's you know, what what would that person do in, with their volume of their voice? And so for me, it's a lot of like, rap, like really drastic changes of volume. You know, really, really quite ridiculous changes of volume at times. And the first time I teach a class, they'll laugh because they're like, why is this dude shouting? <laughs> but then they get very used to that eventually, which is that when I'm excited and when I'm passionate, I will shout the thing. I will, you know, I will shout about, you know, that moment in the crucifixion story when when uh, Jesus is forced to carry his own cross, you know, and I, I will shout about it. But then they'll get that that's just this uh, you know, this over-exaggerated, this emphasised version of this teacher character. Um, mm. And I think that's something that, that um, has been really powerful for me in trying to discover. And I wonder I wonder if it's something people could try and discover as well. No, definitely. I think that's a great, that's a great response. Being the kind of exaggerated, authentic version of yourself is nice. Because I know we've, I've definitely worked with teachers in the same way that are, they don't have the, the loud voice. They can't, they, they know full well that if they try to, discipline a year 10 11 boy by trying to shout or become very very stern um or shout let's go with shout raise their voice i hate the word shout raise their voice they just wouldn't be taken seriously so instead they just kind of it's about outlining exactly what you want them to do what will happen if they do do it and what will happen if they don't do it 
the choice is yours. And then just being known for being very, very consistent, very, very calm. Nothing phases me, but I'm going to be very sure that when I speak to you about your behavior, I need you to do X. If you don't do X, this will happen. If you do do X, then wonderful. We're going to get on with the work. Make your decision now, please. And then you're, you're nice and consistent with it. And the kids will realize, oh, do you know what? Because they don't need to be shouted at, but they, once kids hate consequences, as you know, but they also don't want to feel like they've been made to do something. So when you give them the option, they feel like they've got a little bit of autonomy when really they don't because I've loaded, the, I've loaded the consequences. I've stacked them heavily on the side of if you don't choose, if you don't choose to do the right thing. So we know they haven't really got a choice. There's a, there's a common sense decision here. But when you say you make your choice, I just, can, I just control the consequences. I think that narrative is more useful than you need to do this. Because if they say no, and you haven't told them what will happen, if they say no, then you're going to have a, no, you need to do it now. And then you'll bring in the consequence after. Try to front load the consequences to enable them to make their choices and then just be consistent with it. Um, and I think that can, in, that can be done in, in, a, in a, a huge range of characters and traits. Yeah, and, you know, it, 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 I've seen it done. And by the way, when I say a, a, a sort of nerdy persona, for me, like, that's a huge compliment. If, if you call me a, if a teacher is is nerdy and geeky, they're deeply knowledgeable, and you see the most wonderful teachers who have that kind of personality where they barely seem to talk above a whisper. You know, I can think of one teacher in my school now, and she she never she barely seems to talk above, you know, just regular speaking volume, and every single lesson is just pin drop silence. And they're just smashing the subject every single moment. And why is it? Well, it's because she's a deeply authentic version of herself, and it's just, at, and it's consistent. And they know that if they try and mess around and try and and they cross her, that she will follow through remorselessly and consistently. Uh, and so they don't bother, and so they end up just doing loads of loads of learning as a result. Mm. Um, and I think. Yeah, the last little bit, because I've only got a couple of minutes, I want to just speak about is routines and transitions. Because I think this is something that I know for certain. I was messing these up as I was going through my my kind of career, essentially. You wouldn't you wouldn't have planned or thought about wait, hold on, they need worksheets for this next little bit, but they're currently doing they're currently doing something independent. Um, how am I gonna now? You need to think, how am I gonna get the worksheets out? So that when I say right now get started on this, there is no, as I meant as you mentioned in the thread, no dead time. Nothing where, okay, pens down, everyone stop. Right now we're going to go to next worksheet. I'm going to come around and hand them out because as soon as you do that, if they're stopped and you're handing out worksheets, you've not, they've got nothing to do. And that, as you mentioned, will be a source of, of distracted behavior, low-level kind of disruption most likely if they haven't got anything to do. You haven't told them what you want them to do. So handling transitions is something that you definitely hone as you, as you hone your craft, you hone your transitions, your routines. But I think that task-to-task -task transition is crucial for maintaining that focus as well yeah and i think actually what you what, one thing you said there i think underpins the usefulness of routines which is the the desire for there to be no dead time and i think you you can go a little bit too far with this and you can create a very sort of stressful hectic always on atmosphere to to a school and to and to a classroom but really for, for me i don't want to the way i think about it is i do not want to waste a single second of your time when you're in my lessons I'm not going to waste your time. I'm never going to give you a fluffy explanation. I'm never going to waste out waste time handing out sheets. Uh, I'm not going to waste time getting you to do meaningless tasks because I think they look nice. You know, I'm not going to get you to draw a poster when we're studying the crucifixion because it's you know it's not it's not a relevant skill. Um, I, and so, if you believe that you should not waste students' time, if you believe that there should be there shouldn't be this dead time, 
then routines are one of the most logical solutions to that because they are a profoundly simple and repeatable way of ensuring that things get done quickly. I mean, that's just sort of what a routine is, right? And one of the tasks for a leader is to think through what routines can we have whole school because they are so powerful in improving mm. student culture. Um, you know, for example, we have a silent do now routine in my school. So every single mm. lesson starts with a silent task. Um, when students first enter, they take the task, they sit down in silence, they complete it. And, and that's because the value sitting underneath that is we should not waste students' time. It mm. has this wonderful knock-on effect then of significantly reducing behavior problems. Yeah, um, definitely. Because when students are not having their time wasted, they're less likely to misbehave. No, definitely. And if you do work in a school that doesn't seem to have um, whole school behaviour systems like that, and the onus is on you to create one because you're the classroom teacher, then these are the kind of things that you should try to, these are, and it's an idea for something you might want to do in your classroom. But also, um, yeah, you should, in my, you should work in a school. I think whole school routines work very well. I'm biased, of course, I work in a school that has them, but they're, they're wonderful for consistency. And they, they, they also support um, cover teachers I know it's obviously quite difficult but they support cover teachers they support this one new stuff because you say right kids know how to do this so you don't need to you don't need to spend your time trying to come up with your own entry routine we've already got one we just need to teach you it and see what it looks like in practice so you understand what it looks like across the school so you can maintain those high expectations as well Ian listen we have run out of time I could talk about this all day um, all that's left to say mate is thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show I know I pestered you a little while ago trying to get you on and then you got nabbed by another colleague of mine but I'm glad you agreed to come on I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation about the do's and don'ts to hit the, the hints and the tricks around behavior management and again yeah thank you for coming on I hope we stay in touch on the on the Twitter sphere yeah nice one I hope you hope you feel better mate you've I have to say for, for someone with a fever you've you've, you've done very very well <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to overcompensate, mate. If you saw my facial expression at the moment, my voice my voice sounds like I'm on 10. My face is like I'm on negative five. It's, uh, we got there. In the these, are the, these are the yeah, final yeah. few moments of your life. You know, it's, this is it. This is, your, <laughs> this is the last hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, mate. All the best, Ian, and thank you for coming on T-Store Radio. And we're going to sign out now. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. I need my bed. I need my bed.